0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which we will start today with one of the legendary quotes of philosophy slash history, which is George Santayana's famous... Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And for our quip of the day, I think I'll use Lord Acton's, It requires an impartial man to make a good historian, but it is the partial and one-sided who hunt out the materials. We're going to talk today about hunting out materials and how if you're not aware of what happened in the past, you might well be condemned to repeat it. Although we've come to believe in this program that even if you are aware of what happened in the past, you may still be condemned to repeat it. But we are convinced that one must, nevertheless, investigate. We're going to celebrate on this program the life and death of a great reporter, Gary Webb. Tomorrow, a movie about the Webb saga titled Kill the Messenger is opening across the country. Ten years ago here in Radio Parallax, we devoted an entire show to Gary Webb after he, sadly, ended his life. What I think we're going to do for today's program is take some quotes from that show of ten years ago, add some uh, commentary that is current and see how we might blend this very important tale. We're going to devote the vast majority of today's program to this topic, so I think we will do a rather truncated intro per our usual methodology. Let us jump into On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 9th of October. It was on October 9th in 1871 that the Great Chicago Fire, which burned four square miles of the city, including the business district, and left 90,000 out of a population of 500,000 homeless, was finally brought under control with the help of a rainstorm. On this dead October 9th in 1876, the Scottish-born American inventor Alexander Graham Bell called his assistant Thomas Watson, who was about two miles away in the first phone call using outdoor wires. As proof to skeptics that the conversation had taken place, the Boston advertiser published Bell and Watson's separate accounts of their talk. And it was on October 9th, of 1992, that a 30-pound meteorite slammed into a Chevy Malibu in Peekskill, New York. Thousands of people saw it streak across the sky on its way across the United States. And I believe they were able to sell that meteorite for a pretty penny. We hope you caught the eclipse of the moon, which took place uh, yesterday, Wednesday morning. What I always find cool about lunar eclipses is that the moon has this 3D quality to it when it's in eclipse, something that you do not see under a normal full moon, which is pretty flat-lit. I think we'll do one joke for today's program, which um, we've been holding in, uh, in reserve, I think, since we talked about the passing of Robin Williams um, some time back. Robin Williams was rather notorious for stealing jokes, And we do want to note that Dick Cabot wrote about joke theft in his autobiography. He relayed a story about writing a bit about eating in a Chinese-German restaurant and then an hour later being hungry for power. After a few days of performing that bit, he discovered a review of Rip Taylor's show where the joke was quoted verbatim. After calling Taylor to ask him to stop using the bit, he discovered that not only had Taylor never performed it, he never even heard it and laughed hysterically at the joke's humor. I think that'll do dual service as our anecdote for today. We have more than one stat for today's program, starting with this one. According to Vox.com, since marijuana was legalized in Colorado, 87% of sales have gone to the heaviest weed users, people who get high 21 to 31 days a month, according to a study by the Marijuana Policy Group. And we would note that during the first seven months of this year, the U.S. exported $557 million worth of guided missile technology to more than 20 countries. Six of the top 10 buyers are in the Middle East, including the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt, according to Bloomberg Businessweek. All right, let's take a flying leap into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, and God bless the week for someone that has, has a small budget to produce a radio program with, it was noted that it was a good week last week for investigative journalism after a missing 10-year-old Tampa boy was found by the TV reporters sent out to cover his disappearance. Cameron Polam stumbled on the boy who was hiding in a neighbor's yard. Said Polam, it was a very surreal moment. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the world of perfume with the news that there will be no colognes smelling like Ernesto Che Guevara or Hugo Chavez. Apparently a Cuban state-run company had created the scents but will not be allowed to sell them after a government council ruled last week that the products trivialized the late heroes of the revolution. It was noted that Ernesto, named after the Argentinian-born guerrilla who fought with Fidel Castro, was to be a woodsy scent with citrus notes, while Hugo, or Hugo, Name for the Venezuelan president who supplied Cuba with cheap oil was a fruity fragrance evoking mango and papaya. The Cuban state newspaper, Grandma, called the perfume project a serious error, saying the symbols of the revolution are and will always be sacred. It was, on the other hand, an ugly week for taking no chances after Chinese authorities inspected the anuses and feathers of 10,000 doves for, quote, suspicious materials, unquote, before releasing them in Tiananmen Square to celebrate a holiday. And you think you have a bad job. And no, Mr. Millen, I I do not know what specific suspicious materials they were inspecting for. And we have an item that is both good news and bad news, which is that a new study has found that a flavonoid found in hops and beer can improve cognitive function and memory, at least in young mice, effectively making them smarter but researchers noted that to get the same dose of flavonoid in humans, they would have to drink 3,500 pints of beer a day. And finally, we have an item that is both good and a bit ugly, I think. It is that the average driver has almost $22 in spare change in his car, according to a poll of more than 3,500 drivers. That's more cash than most Americans carry in their wallets, and 49% of Americans say they carry $20 or less each day, while 9% don't carry cash at all. And finally, we don't know how to classify this particular directive, but apparently responding to concerns raised by gay and transgender students and employees University of California President Janet Napolitano directed the system's 10 campuses yesterday to create more gender-neutral restrooms and to allow students to update their records with a preferred name that does not necessarily match their legal name. Yes, and in keeping with this new policy, Mr. McMillan says he would from now on like to be known as Zafu the Restorer. All right, let's talk about Kill the Messenger and the story of Gary Webb, starting with The excellent piece in the Sacramento News and Review by Melinda Welsh. To quote from Melinda's piece, this one has all the ingredients of a dreamed-up Hollywood blockbuster. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist uncovers a big story involving drugs, the CIA, and a guerrilla army. Despite threats and intimidation, he writes an explosive expose and catches national attention. But the fates shift. Our reporter's story is torn apart by the country's leading media. He is betrayed by his own newspaper. While the story turns out to be true the writer commits suicide and becomes a cautionary tale noted melinda hold on the above is not fiction kill the messenger an actual film coming soon to a theater near you is the true story of a sacramento-based investigative reporter gary webb who earned both acclaim and notoriety for his 1996 san jose mercury news series that revealed the cia had turned a blind eye to the U.S.-backed Nicaraguan Contras trafficking crack cocaine in south-central Los Angeles and elsewhere in urban America in the 1980s. Notes Melinda, after being deemed a pariah by media giants like the New York Times, L.A. Times, and Washington Post and being disowned by his own paper, Webb eventually came to work in August 2004 at the Sacramento News and Review. Four months later, he committed suicide at age 49 and left behind a grieving family and some trenchant questions. And we will struggle with some of those trenchant questions today. One of the things I find most curious about this story was that back in 1996, the San Jose Mercury News was embedded, as it were, in Silicon Valley. When this story was put on the internet, it caused a sensation because it bypassed media outlets and went directly to the people. In fact, back in 1996, the series attracted an unprecedented 1.3 million hits per day. But notes the article, after a six-week honeymoon period for Webb and his editors, the winds shifted. The attacks began. On October 4th, the Washington Post stunned the Mercury News by publishing five articles, five articles, assaulting the veracity of Webb's story, leading the package from page one. A few weeks later, the New York Times joined in with a similar intent, and the ultimate injury came when the Los Angeles Times unleashed a veritable army of 17 journalists, known internally as the Get Gary Webb team on the case, and wrote a three-part series demolishing Dark Alliance, or trying to at least pick every single fault they could find. That's an army of journalists, by the way. 17. Linda Welsh notes that one of the big criticisms was that the story didn't include comment from the CIA. <laughs> when reporters at the Big Three asked the agency if Webb's Story was true, they were told no. Tom Tomorrow... This modern world cartoon picked up on this idea of, like, the CIA investigating itself and asked the question, what if O.J. had conducted a, a self-investigation into his uh, into his murder charges? In the panels, of course, he looked at the police in the scene and said, well, gentlemen, I've looked into this and it looks like I'm free and clear. Good enough for us, said the cops, and apparently good enough for uh, our so-called bastions of journalism here in America when they were told, no, this, no, this isn't true. What would one expect them to say? In one of the most disgusting aspects of this entire story, Jerry Seppos, who was the Mercury's executive editor, published an unprecedented column back in May of 1997 that was widely considered an apology for the series, saying it fell short in editing and execution. When Melinda Welsh when contacted by the News and Review, Seppos, now dean of the Manship School in Mass Communications at Louisiana State University. Said he was only barely aware of the film coming out and wasn't familiar with the acting career of Oliver Platt, who plays him. He's apparently still proud of his actions, and I think the worst part about this is that uh, Seppos in 1997 got an Ethics in Journalism Award by the Society of Professional Journalists. I'm sad to note this correspondent did have a couple of conversations with Mr. Webb when he was working for the News and Review back in 04. We would have liked to have brought him on this program, but. Sadly, he grew despondent and took his own life just a few months later. We did, however, back in 2004, have a chat with Tom Walsh, one of the editors of the News and Review, and he talked to us briefly about Gary Webb's tenure at the paper. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. All right, joining us now in the program from the Sacramento News and Review is editor Tom Walsh, uh, the last person I believe to have employed Gary Webb. Uh, Tom, welcome to the program.
1: Uh, Hello, Doug.
0: We're looking forward to having you on, uh, on In Better Circumstances. We, uh, you know, are big fans of the news and review. Uh, we, we've had Cosmo Garvin on. We've had Jeff Kearns on. Um, I'm, and I hope that you, again, will return to our show at some point. But I wanted to talk to you about Gary Webb.
1: Well, um, there's obviously a lot to say. But in the end, as far as we're concerned here at the newspaper, it's, you know, it's simply a tragic event. And we have strong feelings for his family right now and what they're going through, but we also have feelings, obviously, about Gary. He was a extremely good, thorough reporter. He had a lot of writing talent, and all we were doing was looking forward to each one of the stories that he was producing for the paper. Here was a guy who obviously knew something important when he saw it, and he was willing to do extensive background research to get the facts before he even approached writing the story. And I I think it's extremely important that everyone know that when their children are playing these video games put out by the Defense Department, that they know that the Defense Department is collecting information on their children as far as how skilled they are with hand-eye coordination and and how they react to sounds and noises so that the Army can determine in future years if um, they will make good soldiers. It's stories like that that Gary went after and got.
0: Known Melinda Welsh, it was eight days after Webb's untimely death when a few hundred of us gathered in Sacramento's Doubletree Hotel's downstairs conference room for an afternoon memorial service. Family members and longtime friends and colleagues and SNNR staffers packed the room. My own distress at Webb's passing wasn't fully realized until my eyes lit on his Pulitzer Prize propped on a table just inside the entryway. It was the first one I'd ever seen. I wonder how many more exceptional stories he could have produced if things had gone differently. I'm also very surprised in this piece to note that Gary Webb's son, Eric, actually has aspirations to become a journalist in spite of this. The piece quoted Eric Webb, age 26 and living in Sacramento, is saying that he feels Kill the Messenger is a clear vindication of his father. The movie is going to vindicate him, said Eric. If people see the movie, they're going to know he was right. And I must say, I can think of nothing uh, more exciting than the possibility that this movie will start a national dialogue about the media, about how... um, The powerful can control news stories. I hope it has the same impact on the nation that uh, Oliver Stone's JFK did back in 1991. That effort actually, in its own small way, changed American history. We hope this film can do likewise. I think this might be a good place to get out and come back in our second segment and and re-air our chat with Michael Levine, a DEA agent who was well acquainted with Mr. Webb and was a colleague of his, and also a legendary journalist, Robert Perry, he of ConsortiumNews.com, a website we highly recommend. Dear listener, in the next segment, we'll hear a bit of what they had to say 10 years ago and then add some contemporary reporting uh, that's come out in the last week. You're listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett.